Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. I feel like I'm on my first date. I'm sweaty palms today, Don. I don't know what's going on. First date was a long time ago. Um, last month, when we were watching uh, TV and watching the Olympics go on, my wife and I would sit there And I was so impressed with these athletes, these young people who were super athletes. And I looked at them, and I I even told my wife, how did they do that for the first time? When they were doing that half pipe and doing all those flips, how did that happen the very first time? I don't know, a little craziness, but it's amazing what they've done. But one thing that I really did like about watching the Olympics is this, the backstory. When you hear about these people and what they've done in their life, as young kids, they would come up and say, you know what, my whole life I wanted to be an Olympian. I wanted to be the best of the best. And they set their minds on this thing as a goal. They saw the goal and never took their eyes off the goal because the goal was the very thing that kept them moving. And that goal that they set, they said to themselves, I will not be distracted from what I want to do. And the goal that I have, I will not be distracted. So when they were given a coach and they started listening to what the coach said about their diet, what they ate, what they did to go to sleep, have enough sleep, do the same regimen and routine every day, the exercise they did and all the things that the coach said. And through it all, they got to that point not being distracted, and the only reason why they weren't distracted, the eye was always on the goal, kept an eye on the goal. I imagine at times in their lives they would close their eyes and they would see themselves on the podium, bowing down, and the guy putting the medal over their neck. They could see it, they could taste it, and that's what kept them going. That's what kept them moving on towards the goal, not missing the mark, but moving in that direction. And when we, in our own lives, when I looked back and I examined my lives, there are times when I'm not victorious, when I'm not a more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus who loved me, or I'm not an overcomer. And I examined those times and I realized those times when I allowed something to creep into my life. It may have been something innocent and small and not sinful, but before you know it, it grabbed a hold of me and I was distracted. And I was not moving in the direction that God would have me to do. And that's what I want to speak about today. There's this matter of modern-day idolatry. And we don't realize it at times when we are having this in our life. But it comes in in such a subtle way. When we think of idolatry, we think of a golden calf or a totem that's been cut and people bow down and worship and sacrifice to. And we in our own minds would say, I don't do that. That's kind of weird if you do do that. You may need medication. But the thing is, is that idolatry that I'm talking about are like things or people that come into our lives. I just want to look at this one scripture here, these two scriptures that have to do, because it's not just Old Testament, it's New Testament also. 1 John 5, 21 says, little children, guard yourself against idols. That word guard is to watch and watch over your life, because if you don't, something's going to slip in without you knowing it. And then in in, uh, 
1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Run away from it. Because it will take you and take your eyes off the goal for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is a definition of idolatry. Anything that takes your affection, your adoration, your attention, your love, your time, and your worship away from God to whom it is due. You know what John Piper says? It's the thing or person loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, and enjoyed more than God. That is an idol. So here are some of these examples I picked out, and we'll go through them, and then I'll explain it. It could be a hobby, a sport. It could be a car, a home. It could even be a job. I spoke to a man the other day. It was Monday morning, and I was talking to him, and I said, hey, man, how was your weekend? He said, oh, great. I says, uh, I worked. I says, you worked? It's Sunday. Oh, I work Saturday and Sundays too. I work every single day. I want to be the best guy at the job. I want to do everything I can to be the very, very best. I have sacrificed much so that I can do and be the very best. That was his goal, goal and that was idolatry. Because even though any boss in the world would love to have this guy working for him, when you look on the other side of this coin... His family never seen him. His wife was doing her thing. He was doing his thing. His kids never see him. His grandkids would never see him. That is idolatry. Your job. I'm looking for ways to go, not be at work, let alone go to work. But I want to make something clear here. Hobbies and sports are for us to enjoy. God has given us those things. We can enjoy these things in our life. We can do these things and have enjoyment because God wants us to do this. He wants us to have these things in our life. We're not so, like, I don't know how to say it. We, that would be boring if we didn't have any of these things. God gives us for our enjoyment. I love going to a sporting event. Or I love the hobby. I used to do photography. I love those things. But this is what MacArthur says. Even though you like them and you enjoy them, it says, however... When we begin to value something or someone above God and expect that thing or person to provide us with ultimate satisfaction, we are on the road to idolatry. What are the things in our lives? What things have got a hold of you that you love more than God or want more than God? You know, every one of us knows the sin that so easily besets us. Be careful. You notice I mentioned people too. It could be your children or your spouse. Not that you don't want to love them. I love my kids. I mean, I, I don't know anybody who loves their children more than I love my kids. But you have to be careful that you don't love them more than God. God gave you your spouse and your children. God gave them to you. But he didn't give you ownership. You know, it could be something that's bad also. It could be pornography. It could be excessive gambling or excessive drinking that becomes your idol. It could be an illicit affair that could become an idol in your life that sucks the life out of you that you are going after that and your eyes are no longer on the goal. 
Calvin says, we all know who Calvin is, he says, your heart and mine are an idol factory. We can develop an idol in no time at all. Our brain could say, oh, I like that. And before you know it, you're on your way. So this morning, I want to look at the Old Testament. And we want to learn from their mistakes of what not to do today. Because we all, in some way or fashion, end up becoming idolaters if you don't watch where you're going. Now, we know that this past weeks, Peter's been speaking out of the book of Joshua. Joshua is now gone. He's passed. All the time that Joshua was in those places where God had sent them, he sent them to go through these foreign lands where God had gave them this land. This is no longer theirs. It is your land. You are to go in, but you are to take and remove those people from the land. Because if you keep them in the land, they will become a snare to you. They will be the very ones where your daughters will marry their sons and their sons will marry your daughters and they will tear you away from the God who loves you and who gave you the land. So when the book of Judges comes out, Joshua's gone and he says he raises up judges. Now these judges are not what we think. A guy in a black robe swinging a gavel sitting behind a desk. Judges were raised up for one reason. The main reason was that you, when you get yourself in trouble and you are becoming an idolater or the nation becoming an idolater, what ends up happening? He raises this judge up to bring you into battle to defeat the enemy who you are now trapped in because of your idolatry. You'll see that majority of the times... In the Old Testament, they walked away from God because they became idolaters, and God lets them. You want to go that way, he says? I'm going to let you do it. But then you're captured. See, God wants us to be delivered from our idolatry, and he is the only one who can when we get trapped in it. We'll talk about that in a minute. So before we get into the person I want to speak about, I'm going to tell you about this one female judge. Yeah, a female judge. Her name was Deborah. And Deborah went in and became a judge to deliver him from the king of the Canaanites and the Canaanites themselves. And this king's name was Jabin. And he had a chief officer, military officer, the name was Sisera. And he, she came in and defeated them and set the children of Israel free. And it said they had peace for 40 years. 40 years. What ends up happening? You never hear what happens during those peaceful times. But what's been happening, they had this peace. Before you know it, they became lax. And before you know it, they're starting to slip and slip and slip. And then in the first chapter, first verse of chapter 6, it says this. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against the children against Israel, because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves dens, which were in the mountains and caves and strongholds. When they did evil, what it was was idolatry, and we'll explain how that came about. Because of Midian, they made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds in the mountains. They were no longer living in the place that God provided for them. He gave them vineyards, he gave them crops, he gave them homes, and now they're in caves and dens. 
They are suffering. They're living a substandard life of what God had ordained for them to live a victorious life. And yet now they're hiding in the caves. They're no longer living where God had prepared for them in the victory and being an overcomer and being more than a conqueror. Now they're in caves because they let idols come into their lives. You know, God wants us to have a life and that abundantly. We need to have a singleness of heart so we'll experience the goodness of God. What would happen during this time is that the Israelites would plant these crops in these, these place, the places where they grow all their produce. And the Midianites would wait for just the right time. And then they'd come in with the Amalekites and the sons of the east. And they'd come in and make like a swarm like locusts and decimate the area. They would destroy all the produce of the land. And it says there was no sustenance left in the land. No lamb no donkey and no oxen. There was nothing in the land completely destroyed by them. And it says there was no sustenance, nothing, because of what happens. We forfeit so much when we let idols stay. All their hard planting and labor, they would never enjoy that fruit. The enemy steals it away. Look at this scripture here. With Psalm 18, 26. With the pure, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you show yourself astute. Now that word astute means twisted. See, when you are single-hearted, looking to the Lord, eyes on the goal, moving in that direction, and God is bringing you to the place where you want and he needs you to be because he has an eternal purpose for me and you. If you do not, if you do, I mean, have a pure heart, you will begin to hear where he wants you to go. You will know his will. He will guide you and protect you all because your heart is pure moving in that direction. That's exciting. And that's where we have to keep our eyes on because if you don't and you allow that, those idols to slip in, you will end up like the second verse. If you are crooked or perverse, God will show himself twisted. Now you know that God is not twisted. But this is what it is. Now that you're crooked and you have feet on both sides, serving God and serving Baal, whatever it is, it muddies the water. You don't see clearly. You can't see where God is bringing you. If you perversely oppose your maker and your deliverer, he will oppose you. And this is, listen, and no work you do will prosper. No matter what you do, and you're trying to do right and trying to do this, but if you allow that idol in, you will not prosper. You see how the children of Israel planted all those crops and did all that hard work? The enemy steals it away. Same today. Same today. If you are involved in something that you shouldn't be involved in, I guarantee you, you will not prosper. You will not be victorious. You will not be an overcomer. And you will not be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I know this is a difficult word, but we have to hear it. We will never make it to the end. We will be defeated. None of this would have happened if they would have listened and obeyed God. 
because of incomplete obedience. Let me say that again. Incomplete obedience. You know what that is? You come into the land. God has given you victory. But you still let some of these things stay. They let some of the people stay. That's all right. We'll make them our slaves. But before you know it, they're ensnared because they didn't have complete obedience. You did not obey. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Seven years They've been in hiding in case for seven years, unable to enjoy what God had given them. For seven years, they finally bow down. You notice, as soon as the children of Israel, listen to what it says here. I'm going to let you read. I'm going to read some scripture to it here. And I'm going to read it because I didn't want to put it all up on the screen. Listen to what it says here. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It is I who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I was the one who brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. I and from the hands of your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and you gave and, you, and we gave you that, he gave you that land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in the land in whom you live, but you have not obeyed. The first thing this prophet does reminds them, he doesn't beat them up. He reminds them how good he is. He reminds them of all that he did. I delivered you when I rescued you, when I led you, when I provided for you. I've done all these things. Then he says, but you have not obeyed. You know, when I look at this and I look into the Old Testament, Ephesians 2 is a, an exact word of what this chapter is in the Old Testament. Listen to some of these. I'm just going to read some of these things out of Ephesians 2. Think of the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. And now think of us. And God speaks to us this morning and reminds me and you of these things. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. You, you were nothing. But God had his eye on you. We were children of wrath. The wrath of God was going to be poured out on us. And we would spend eternity in hell. God being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. You made us alive together with Christ. That is a wonderful thing. Who could do that? You name another God. You name an idol who could do what he did for us. There is not a one. Not a one who's brought us into this wonderful life. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenant of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you are formerly afar off. Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is a love story. That is something that we need to be reminded of daily. We have been slaves. We were slaves and we're no longer slaves. We're not living where we lived. You know what happened? He took us out of the miry clay and placed us upon the rock. That rock is immovable. That's who God is. That's who Christ is to us. Immovable. 
But at the very end, he said those words, but you have not obeyed me. This next sequence of events is what God does because he has to reiterate what the prophet has done. See, the prophet came, and we don't know because Scripture doesn't say it, but the prophet came and spoke those words, and maybe some people turned and said, you know what? He is so right. I've let these idols overcome me and overwhelm me. But now I want to turn back to the one who provides for me. But this is what happens next. The angel of the Lord comes. And he sits under the oak in Ophrah. And that, that Joash, who was an Abyssalite, owned this property. And his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. You know why he's threshing wheat in the wine press? Because usually you thresh wheat on top of a hill where the wind comes in and blows the chaff away and you're able to get the grain and eat. But because of the Midianites, he had to do it in the wine press. And he couldn't use oxen, he had to use a stick. And he was beating the, the wheat to get the shell off of the wheat. And here's the angel of the Lord sitting there. You know who this angel of the Lord is? It's Christ incarnate. He's the one who comes and speaks. And then the angel gets his attention. I don't know what he did. He waved his staff or whatever, and he's hitting that wheat, and he looks, and he sees this man sitting under this oak. And the angel of the Lord speaks to him prophetically. You know what he says? The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. What a strange salutation. Here he is threshing wheat, and now he calls him a valiant warrior because he knows what he's going to do with Gideon to defeat the Midianites. And he comes in, and he says that. And this is what he... Now, Gideon is a little perplexed at the salutation, but this is, listen to this. Then Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? His father Joash must have spoke to him about the Egyptian being brought back out of the land. Listen, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. You know what happens sometimes when we get wrapped up so much in this idolatry, we have a clouded vision and we don't realize it was our sin that got us to where we are. You know, the angel, or God himself, the Lord himself, Never said, you know why? Let me explain something to you. He never goes that way. He knew of God's miracles. He knew of everything that happened because his father told him about it. The only thing he says, you will deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. You will. Now Gideon being just like one of us says, hmm, is this God or what? I need to test. He says to him, could you wait here one minute? I just got to do something. But wait. And the Lord says to him, I'll wait. So he goes to his house and pre prepares a kid goat, a small goat. And he prepares unleavened bread out of an ephah of flour. Remember, saints, there is no sustenance in the land. The very last thing he had for his family was that goat and that ephah of flour. And he makes bread and brings it to the angel. 
or God himself. And he brings it, and he has the, the meat in a basket along with the bread, and he brings the broth, and he says, place the meat and the unleavened bread on the rock and pour the broth on top of it. And he does it. The angel of the Lord reaches out his staff, touches the meat and the bread, and fire springs up from the rock and consumes it. And he says, now I know it's you. You are the one. He says, you are the one. I know it was you. I just had a test. Sometimes we have to test the spirits. We want to know if we're going to do the right thing. And God comes and shows himself. He says, now I've seen the face of God. I'm going to die. And he says, be at peace. And he built an altar to the Lord. And he named the altar Jehovah Shalom. My God is my peace. Even in my captivity, he is my peace. It gives us courage to go and speak to him and say, now you need to deliver us. And if you're going to use me, so be it. Be it according to your word. Let it be. Just like Mary said when the angel came to her, let it be unto the bondservant as you have said. This is, these next verses, almost comical in a way. Now on the same night, see God doesn't wait. The same night he has to hit where the, the poker is hot. He says, the same night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull who is seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal which belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold in an orderly manner and take a second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood from that female deity which you shall cut down. This is so, so important if for us to be victorious. Did you see that it's his father's oxen and the idols are in his father's house? God bypassed his father because he was the ringleader of this worship. And people from around the town would come to Joash's house to worship Baal and that female deity Asherah. You see, in those days when they were idolaters, to make it seem okay, they worshiped God and they worshiped the idols all at the same time. They wanted to cover all their bases. The altar had to be torn down and that female deity had to be cut down. There needed to be the destruction of the altar because that was the fatal source of their defection. The Asherah needed to be cut down and to be burnt and to use it for the burnt offering of that second oxen. See, that female deity is good for one thing. It has ears that don't hear. It has a mouth that don't speak and eyes that cannot see. It cannot lead you. It can't protect you. It is good for nothing except for the fire. And God saw that. And he was going to use that very deity to burn that oxen, to do the burnt offering. Oxen. What happened was, they sinned. And when you sin and I sin, there needs to be the shedding of blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness. There had to be something to pay for that sin. Second oxen, did you notice that the second oxen is seven years old? 
left or born the day that Midian took over. So what ends up happening is that he comes in and takes that oxen that was born seven years when Midian took over. But here's the thing. God is trying to show us that this oxen, this slavery that you've been in for seven years is going to be wiped away. It's going to be burnt. It was no longer. It is finished. It's no more. And that's what will make you have that single heart. He takes away that idol. It's wiped away. The slavery of Midian is finished. That oxen was an oxen of consecration. It's the oxen of consecration. In other words, the idol is gone. Now you're solely dedicated to the Lord himself. You see, when you give up your, your idol, what ends up happening is this. You are now consecrated, set apart just for that one purpose, to follow after what God would have you to do. It is gone. Jesus Christ has done that for me and you. He is the one who provided for you. He's the one who's led you all these years. He's protected for you. He's fed you. He's done all these things. He wants us to see that this idol is good for nothing. You notice that he built an altar. He did not offer that stuff on Baal's altar. He says, knock it down and build for me another altar in an orderly fashion. That's what God wants. Except that he doesn't want nothing to do with Baal. There's a problem here. In the book of Judges, it says this. On many occasions, I think three, at this time, there was no king in Israel, so the children of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. There was a king. It was Jehovah God who was their king. He was the one who wanted to be their king and led them and ruled and taken care of them, but they went after other gods. You know why? Because they want a God that they can see and feel, that they can put their hands on. Take that golden calf in the time of Moses when, they, when Aaron developed, made this golden calf. They wanted to see it. They wanted to hold on to it. God is a God of faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. If you are looking for something to hold on to, something material, something of that nature, it's not going to work. It is only by faith when we take hold of God whom we do not see and trust him for our lives. That is the thing that's so important to him, that we follow after him by faith. Even those who don't see him still believe in him, that's what he's pleased with. But you know what our idols are in our lives today? I can hold on to it. I can touch it. I can see it. And I can feel it. God says, I'm more real than any of those idols. I am the one who will take care of you. Remember I said they did what was right in their own eyes? Adam ate of the fruit because it was right in his own eyes. The sons of Judah sold their brother Joseph as a slave because it was right in their own eyes. David slept with Bathsheba because it was right in their own eyes. And Judas betrayed Jesus because it was right in his own eyes. You see, when you don't have a Lord... If you don't see him as Lord, you will do things that are right in your own eyes. 
That's pretty clear, right? There's this other side that I want to mention, and we'll close with this last part here. It's the jealousy of God. And I'm going to read something out of Exodus, the 34th chapter. For you shall not worship any other God whose name is jealous because he is a jealous God. Now, we think of jealousy, we think of jealousy as man thinks of jealousy. Here's jealousy in a man's eyes. This is jealousy. You go out with your wife or girlfriend, wherever, and across the room you see her speaking to another man. And before you know it, what is she talking to him for? Or she'll go, he'll go over to him, hey, that's my girlfriend, back off, bub. That's man's jealousy. God's jealousy is not that. You know why that's jealousy for man, us? Is because that's insecurity. You're not secure in your relationship with that person, and you're jealous all the time. God's jealousy is not that at all. You know what God's jealousy means? Dedicated to, zealous for us. He loves us. He knows. See, he knows who he is. He knows who you are. He knows what he wants to do for you. He knows that he wants to lead you. He knows he wants to feed you. He knows all these things. And when we turn around and worship or go after someone else, you know what ends up happening? He becomes jealous. That's the jealousy of God. It's really his love for us. He loves us. He knows he can provide for us. And yet, this is what happens. Listen to this, what it says here. God's jealousy serves as a guarantee to his people of their ultimate deliverance and security. See, when you see God's jealous, you say, ah, oh, he loves me. He wants, me to, wants to provide for me. That's what God's jealousy is. It's a good thing. God is a jealous God, and he wants us to live that way in his love and his security. And I'm going to close on this positive note. I've been studying Hosea probably for about two months now, and I just love it. It is really a great story. But God has Hosea, who is a minor prophet. Minor prophet doesn't mean he's 16 years old. Um, a minor prophet, it means like he's not an, uh, an, uh, like um, Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Isaiah, where he has, it's a short book. But he has, now this is so weird of God, because I would have never thought this, because I'm not God, first of all. But he has Hosea to marry a prostitute. Go on. No. Because he was trying to show the children of Israel, that's who you are to me. You wander off and go whoring around with other things. And he's trying to show them. Listen, it's I who gave you your flax. I who have given you your corn. I have given you all that you needed. And yet, you think it's your idol that's done it. It's not him, it's me. So I'm going to read some stuff here out of Hosea, and then we'll close. Hosea in the 11th chapter says this, When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more that the prophets called to them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning incense to idols. Yes, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I was the one who healed them. I led them with cords of a man with bonds of love, and I became to one as the one who lifts the yoke off their jaws. And I bent down and I fed them. They will re not return to Egypt, but they will turn to Assyria, where their person, that king will be their king. 
the sword will whirl against them and demolish their gate bars and consume them because they are councils. So my people are bent for turning away from me. But now here comes God. He speaks. You see, God's righteousness says, this has to stop. There needs to be some sort of justice and righteousness. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? Or how can my, my heart is turned within me? How can I treat you like Zeboim? What it is is that Zeboim and Adma were cities in Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed with fire. He says, how can I do this to you? You are mine. You are my children and yet you turn from me. He's saying, I don't want to do this to you. My heart is turned over within me. And I want to, you to turn. You see, judgment begins in the household of God. If you do not repent and stop doing what we are doing and having idols in our life, the judgment of God will come and you will be disciplined. You do not want to be disciplined by God. He is wanting you to turn your heart. Let's see him. He reminds of who, who he is. Now we need to turn and be with him. Go after him. When I heard, read that one part where it says, my heart is turned over within me his heart is breaking see God has a perfect balance though mercy and judgment he does not stop he does not compromise his judgments or his righteousness to be merciful the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and when he went to the cross he did not spare our, his son on our behalf. He did not sweep our sins under the rug. He had to sacrifice his son. You see, we need to see the negative in order to see the positive. God had to sacrifice his son. The sins were paid for, and now we are free. There was justice and mercy, perfect balance. Listen to what it says here. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you are stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you. Do you hear that? Take words with you. And return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all my iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. All he is taking, he is wanting us to repent. He is wanting us to turn away from what we've been doing. Go to him with words. Be truthful. Tell him what your sin is. Tell him what your idolatry is. Tell him what it is. Be truthful and say, I have sinned against you. I've been following after this thing or this person and it's caused me to stumble. He loves the truth. And when you speak the truth to him, what happens? He comes in like a flood and it's like a, a billows of water come over you. You are set free. And you're able to serve the Lord. Listen, loved ones. We have a destiny that God has provided for us. He has called us to something special. He has called us the redeemed. He has called us to be loved. He has an eternal purpose for me and you. And the way that is met is by following after him and having a singleness of heart. Do you want to be victorious? Do you want to be an overcomer? Or do you be, want to be a more than a conqueror? Walk according to his commandments. Because he does care for me and you. He loves us. He desires for us to prosper. 
Why don't we pray? Lord, when we look at all the things that you've done for us, and we look, Lord, at how you've protected us and fed us and kept us over all these years, there's none like you. We say, as Peter said, where would we go, Lord, if we went somewhere else? Lord, I pray that we keep our eyes on you because we want to be those ones like in the book of Revelation where it says, for him who overcomes to him, he grants us to eat of the tree of life or to sit down on the throne. That's what we want, Lord. So I pray for all of us in here, Lord, that we would move in a direction that would be pleasing in your sight. And if there is idols in our lives, Lord, we pray that, as it says in Psalm 139, search me and know me, O God, and let me know if there's anything sinful in my life, and I will take, get rid of it so that I may serve you with singleness of heart. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.